We're going to continue in 1 John chapter 3 in our 1 John study tonight. Uh, last week we saw John's desire that followers of Christ remain pure because Christ himself is pure. Uh, and so believers must have a commitment to the truth that is found in the Bible and the truth that is found in Christ. Uh, however, commitment to truth on its own is not enough. For a zeal for the truth has to be balanced by a love for people. Truth without love has no decency. It's simply brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It, it becomes hypocrisy. And John makes it clear that the two, purity and love, righteous living and love, truth and love, have to go together. They go hand in hand for an authentic believer. So as John's writing to combat these false teachers, he's saying, listen, you got to have a life that reflects that you follow the commands of Christ, but you also have, a, have to have a life that reflects that you love people as Christ loved people. Uh, many people place too much emphasis on the love side of the scale. They, they talk about uh, love and tolerance a lot, but then they lack any concern for the truth. But listen to what Paul says about love and truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. But on the other hand, there are those who have all their theological ducks in a row, and, and they know their doctrine well, uh, but they are unloving, and they're self-exalting. And so they have the truth as cold, hard facts, which makes the truth stifling and unattractive. And their lack of love cripples the power of the truth that they profess to revere. And so by clinging to the truth without having love, they're actually making the truth uh, less attractive. But a truly God godly person must cultivate both purity and truth and a heart of love in equal proportion. And so if you wish for anything in your sanctification, wish for that. Wish that you would grow in truth and in love. Strive for it. Pursue it. If you pursue anything in, in the spiritual realm, pursue a perfect balance of truth and love. Know the truth and uphold it in love. And that's what John is going to uh, be telling us tonight. Last week, as I said, we were looking at the idea that uh, God's children obey his commands. And he, he kind of closed in verse uh, verse 10 with, Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. And then he jumps into verse 11. Verse 11 and 12 says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. See, love is the charge of the Christian message. Love is the charge of the Christian message. It's not merely an optional duty for someone who claims to be a Christian, but it is positive proof that one has truly been born again. It is the fundamental duty of the Christian life. Jesus himself said in John 15 verse 12, 
This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. The Apostle Peter made it clear that purity and doctrinal truth results in love. Listen to what he wrote. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you may show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Love is the mark of the believer, but hate is the mark of those that are children of the devil. And so John illustrates this by using the story of Cain from the book of Genesis. Scripture presents Cain as one who was outwardly worshiping God. He came and he offered God a sacrifice. But however, his, his murderous actions reveal that inwardly he was an enemy of God as we all have been. John contends that because Cain slaughtered his brother, he represents the prototype of the devil's progeny. He is the the representative of those who belong to the devil and not to Christ. John recorded in his gospel, "You are the father, or you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning." and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And of course, we know that as Cain, uh, God approached Cain afterwards he and, and asked, what happened to your brother? He said, am, am I my brother's keeper? And kind of pushed off his, his responsibilities toward his brother. But a Christian that is living a pure life lives a sacrificial life on behalf of others. John uses Cain to contrast against Christ. Cain sacrificed the life of his brother because he is his own wounded self. But Christ sacrificed his own life in love to his brothers. And so every man belongs either to the brotherhood of Cain or the brotherhood of Christ. Reverend G.S. Barrett says, Then is now the surest proof of the wickedness of the child of the devil is this, that he is stung into fury, not merely by some wrong done to him, but simply by the spectacle of the goodness of the child of God. Cain saw the goodness of his brother Abel, and he couldn't stand it when his brother's sacrifice was acceptable in the sight of the Lord, and his was not, and so he murdered him. Evil people do not like it. When a Christian lives a life that reflects Christ, they ridicule and they hate because their sin is revealed in comparison to the good. John picks up this theme in verse 13. He says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And so we see that love is the confirmation of the Christian resurrection. Love is the confirmation of the Christian resurrection. Because the Cain spirit is not dead. Righteousness still provokes hostility from those that belong to the world. 
The world is defined by hate. And we see that so much in our world right now. We have these, I guess, race wars going on as we we see racism being highlighted and prejudice based on the color of one's skin. Uh, that should not be the case for us as Christians. We should be united in love. We should be defined by love for one another regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of if we're male or female, regardless of uh, if we're uh, have a, from a different nation, have a different nationality, uh, regardless of anything, regardless of anything, we should love one another. And history is filled with stories of persecution of the saints by the world because they see the love that the, the Christians exhibit and they cannot stand it. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Others, speaking of Christians, experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Becoming a Christian is resurrection from death to life. It's a turning from hate like that of the world to love like that of Christ. The real evidence of our new life is not in the hostility of the world, but in the love of Christ. And so no matter what the world thinks of us, John says we know, we know with certainty that we have been changed. And the Greek verb that was used here suggests an act that was accomplished in the past that has results that continue into the present. It is often used to speak of people who have immigrated from one country to another country, Uh, The Christian has permanently moved from the kingdom of darkness and death into the kingdom of light and life. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. He also wrote in Galatians 5, 22, that the first part of the fruit of the Spirit is love. A lack of love indicates that one is spiritually dead. But on the other hand, John says that the one who does not have love lives in death. It is his or her natural state. And really, it's all of our natural state to live in death. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians that Christ has brought us from death to life. The person who lives in hate does not have life, but belongs to death. Jesus said that if one hates, he is essentially a murderer because he has murdered that person in his heart. You can look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And so there's a pattern here. Not loving is equivalent to hating. And Jesus says hating is equivalent to murder. And so those of the world are not loving, but they are hating and they are murderous just like Cain. But those that are like Christ are loving, and their love is sacrificial. And a life of love confirms that we have new life 
in Christ. Look at verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion for him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. See, love is the ultimate communication of Christ's sacrifice. Love is the ultimate communication of Christ's sacrifice. The world does not know love. Those of the world cannot understand love. John will say in the next chapter that love comes from God. So without God, we have not love. The only way that we know love is that we have experienced true love in what Christ has done for us when he died on the cross for us. John uses the expression, laid down his life for us. And it's an expression that's unique to John's writing. It is found only here and in his gospel. It speaks of divesting oneself of something. Christ gave up his life for those who would believe in him. His death was at the hand of Roman soldiers, but it wasn't the Roman soldiers that killed him. Scripture makes it clear that God the Father was pleased to crush his son on behalf of those who love him, on behalf of sinners like you and like me. He willingly came. He willingly left the glory, wrapped himself in human flesh, lived among us perfectly, showing us what humanity should be like. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he went to the cross to save us. It was a voluntary self-sacrifice. And this is the epitome of what a true Christian love looks like. Christian love is self-sacrificing and giving. Peter wrote this. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer... If you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Christ is our standard. We seek to live up to what he's done. We, we seek to live as he lived. We seek to love as he loved. It is our obligation, it is our privilege to reproduce Christ's self-giving love in our lives. If it were required, we should be willing that we would give up our own lives for our Christian brothers. But John makes it clear that we should not just be willing to, to give in some big heroic kind of way. I, I, I will lay down my life for you. But we must live in daily 
self-sacrifice for the good of the saints. If we see a Christian brother or sister who has a need and we refuse to fill it, we cannot possibly claim to have the love of God living in us. James put it this way, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? We must look at others and consider their needs. And if we're able to meet their needs, it is our responsibility as Christian brothers and sisters to meet their need. In uniting together, we are willingly indebting ourselves to one another. So when we come together as the church, we have this covenant, this promise to one another that we will hold one another, that we will be indebted to one another. Because of the bonds of love from the sacrifice of Christ. As Christ demonstrated his love through his acts, we also understand that love is not words, it's not sentiment, it's action. We don't just say, brother, I will pray for you, but we actually pray for them. And there's nothing wrong with praying right then and there. We don't just say, I hope you can get some food. But we, get, we go to the store, or we go to the house and pull some things out of our pantry, or, or we go to the church and pull things from our, our food pantry and get them some food. We, we don't just say, go and be clothed, but we, we take them to the store and, and purchase clothes for them. Or if we have something that will fit them, we give it to them. Or if we, we go to the church and go to the ministry house and let them uh, find something in, in the ministry house that will fit them. We try to help them in whatever way we can. And, and Jesus makes it clear that we, we should go above and beyond what is needed to meet their needs. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 40, As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, give him your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Christ demonstrated love in action, and he calls us to do the same thing. We must love in action as well. So let's look at these last few verses. First <clears throat> John chapter 3, verse 19. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commands remains in Him and He in Him. And the way we know that He remains in us is from the Spirit He has given us. See, love is the confidence of the Christian's position. Love is the confidence of the Christian's position. A lifestyle of love in action is demonstrable proof of salvation. It demonstrates that we have received the grace of Christ. When we live in love, we take our character from the nature of God himself. John will tell us in the next ver- in the next chapter that God himself is love. And so when we are on the side of the truth, we are on the side of God. 
A life of love reassures us of our position before God. Uh, This verse could be translated, we set our hearts at rest before him. Although Christians may have insecurities, may have doubts uh, about salvation, God himself does not condemn us. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans 8 verse 10, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Love banishes self-condemnation, and it results in a confidence. We have confidence in our position. We have confidence in Christ. And so when one lives a life of of self-importance and self-centeredness, he has no deeds to, to reassure or to assure his heart before God that he is indeed saved. But if one loves in word and in deed, then God says yes we have a a an evidence that we have been saved we have evidence that we have been redeemed we have evidence that we have been changed and transformed by the power of Christ and we can have confidence to to boldly approach God in prayer and to know that our prayer is effective our boldness toward God ensures that our prayer will not be refused because we can come before him as our father with the confidence of a child knowing that he wants to give us good things. He wants to give good things to, the, to those whom he loves. And so if we keep God's commands and do what is pleasing to him, our wills will then align with his will. And he'll have no reason to hold back blessings. We'll receive a glorious yes from our Father. And John says that these, these two commands we need to be concerned about are really just one command they're to believe in Christ and love one another. In, in the Greek, the word believe is in the aorist tense, which it means it's a once and for all event. You make a decision to believe in Christ, and to believe in his work, to believe in his person, uh, to believe in everything that the Bible teaches that Jesus of Nazareth was, that he was the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and that he was resurrected, and that he was ascended, And that he is coming back. And then the word for love, as opposed to believe, believe is an aorist tense, but love is in the present tense. And and so this would imply that it is a continuous practice. Love must be a continual habit for the one who claims to be a believer. John believes that these two are so closely related together they actually constitute only one command. And this is his command. He says, the one, I'm sorry, now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. Obedience is both the condition and the proof that we abide in God and he abides in us. Apart from such obedience and Intimate communicate, uh, an intimate communion with God is not possible. But when we combine purity and love, as is evident in the scriptures that we must do, then we are able to commune with God in a special way. This last part of verse 24 introduces the next topic that we'll look at uh, next week in chapter 4. 
We know we are children of God, John has been telling us, by our external evidence, by our, our lives of righteousness, and by our deeds of love. But he also says in this verse, we have the internal witness of the Spirit of God. But we'll look more about that next week. So make sure you come back and join us next week so that you're able to see where that is leading. That is all that